wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. gone for the moment, but they could return any time. We should wait until nightfall, before we leave. Here, let me take your hands. You're shaking. Please, be still. Be brave. They will not take us. I promise we'll escape. There's a boat waiting to take us to Turkey, and we'll be safe there, at our cousin's house in Thessalonica. We will be safe. I promise. Let me tell you a story while we wait. Would you like that? I thought you might. It takes place a long time ago, before there was an Inquisition or a unified Spain, or a Christian flag over the walls of Granada. It is a tale of Andalusia. Once, long ago, there was a handsome young man, a caballero of Asturias named Don Alvar José Ruiz Godínez de la Torre. As the youngest of his house, his father sent him away to make his fortune. And so, with his lute, his espada, and his pistol, he rode south with the Gothic army into Andalusia of the Moors. On the borders of the Extremadura, a great battle was fought between the Goths and Moors, and the Christians were defeated. Fleeing for his life, Donalvar found himself alone in the mountains, with night beginning to fall. Donalvar had no food and nothing to drink. His silk shirt had been sliced by the scimitars of Cordoba, and the dust of Extremadura clung to his drying sweat and blood. His horse Gallardo was exhausted, and he knew the Moorish knights could not be far behind. At the moment, he had all but lost hope. Gallardo carried him over a ridge, and there, below his feet, spread a rich green valley with a clear river at its heart. On the valley's far side, a golden castle rose against the darkness of the mountains, flashing amber, pink, and turquoise with the last flames of sunset. Just then, a mudajar, a Moorish peasant living under the rule of Christians, appeared at the top of the hill, carrying a load of timber. "'Hail, unbeliever,' said Donalvar. "'What castle is that, and whose lands are these?' "'Hail, senor,' said the mudajar, whose name was Musa. "'You have come to a Christian land.' Before you lies the valley of Asquero, and above it stands Castel Asquero, which is ruled by Duke Feo. An ugly name, said Donalvar. Indeed, said Musa. And though Donalvar was tattered and bloodstained, Musa's sharp eye spotted a nobleman proud of his pure Gothic descent and added, However, the Duke has a daughter of most singular appearance. She is yet unmarried, for few Christians ever fight through the armies of the Caliph and arrive at Valley Asquero. 
At this, hunger awakened in the heart of Don Alvar, for though the Christian army had been defeated, here at last was an opportunity for him to make his fortune. "'God bless you, though you be an infidel,' he said to Musa, and without looking back he flung a gold coin into the dust at the Mudujar's feet and spurred his tired horse down the hill. For a long moment, Musa watched the Hidalgo's dust cloud fade into the evening sky. Then he spat into the dirt and continued home, leaving the gold coin where it lay. Darkness was just beginning to fall when Don Alvar arrived at the gates of Castel Esquero. Stars were beginning to pierce the soft velvet of an Andalusian night, and golden lanterns were kindled along the limestone parapet. "'Who goes there?' shouted a guard on the wall. "'I am Don Alvar José Ruiz Godinez de la Torre of Asturias. I have escaped the destruction of the Gothic army, and now seek refuge from the Duke of Esquero.' No sooner had he spoken than a call went out from the walls, and the great gates of Esquero carved with oak, olive, and rosemary leaves began to creak open. A pair of guards bowed low on the other side, and though their weapons were sheathed, he felt a spike of alarm, and nearly struck them with his sword, for both men were deformed and hideous in his sight. One was very short, with a hare lip, a lazy eye, and a bulbous chest. The other was incredibly tall and thin, with wide hips, thin limbs, a club foot, and withered arm. But though their appearance repulsed him, they spoke elegant Spanish and welcomed him most courteously. Don Alvar composed himself, supposing that, this deep into Moorish territory, a Christian lord would have to put his most terrifying servants on the walls. Thanking the guards, Don Alvar dismounted and passed through the gates. An avenue of white gravel reflected the radiance of Castella Squero's open windows and doors. Grooms and attendants appeared, bearing cold sherbets and leading Gallardo away to the stables. At the appearance of each new person, Don Alvar felt another surge of revulsion, for though their clothes and speech were gentle, each was every bit as misshapen as the guards upon the gate. Yet Castel Esquero itself was beautiful beyond description, its towers creamy against the night sky and joyful music wafting from within. On either side, citrus trees sighed between glittering pools and soft orange lamps swung in the evening breeze. This way, Don Alvar, the man who spoke was a hunchback dressed in gorgeous satin damask. I am the butler Corcovado, and we have chambers ready for you in the castle, with water already heating for the bath. Few sentences could have been kinder, and Don Alvar followed without complaint, the gravel crunching under his even stride and under the loping gait of Corcovado. The bath was hot enough to steam away all hardships, and Don Alvar felt reborn as he dried himself beside the murmuring fire. New clothes of brilliant velvet green and orange silk had been laid out on the bedspread, and when he dressed, he was unable to stop from admiring his reflection in the silver-looking glass. It was every inch the reflection of a purebred Gothic prince, he thought, and then stepped forth to present himself before the duke. A hush descended as he entered the great hall of Esquero. Bright lanterns shone from the high reaches of the hall, but their light was muffled by canopies of midnight velvet, diamond-starred, that spread between the pillars and allowed the guests in the hall to dine in near-total darkness. This, you see, was the custom at Castel Esquero, so one's appearance did not off-put one's neighbor's appetite. Only the central aisle and high table were fully lit, and Don Alvar could feel the eyes as dark, misshapen heads turned to watch him approach the dais. Whispers began to pass between them, 
as his own footsteps whispered against the ashlar stones and alabaster pillars. He's so beautiful, whispered one voice. I've never seen a man like that. Has he come to marry the Donna Maria? Gold banners flung back the light as he came to a halt and bowed before the high table. There, the seat of honor was filled by the most hideous man who Don Alvar had ever seen. But beside him sat the most beautiful woman who Don Alvar had ever imagined. The man was swollen with warts, rash and goiters, and a pair of servants attended him with white cloths, occasionally dabbing at the yellow fluids that he seeped. Though his body was huge, with varied forms of elephantitis, his head was disproportionately vast, and sat his soft shoulders like a slab of limestone balanced on a pillar in the desert. His mouth was enormous and filled with square, false teeth. A pair of jaundiced eyes watered under his ducal coronet. The woman was dressed in all white, from gloved white wrists to swan-like throat. She wore a white headdress which spread like white horns above her dark eyebrows, crimson lips and sparkling eyes before tumbling down like foam across her shoulders. As he looked more closely, Donalvar realized she was wearing a very thin mask, or a very thick layer of cosmetic, and it was from this that the surreal smoothness of her features came. Yet, the mask contoured so tightly to her features that it must have followed them exactly, she was wearing a mask of her own face. "'Welcome, Don Alvar,' croaked the Duke of Esquero. "'We are honoured to have a caballero of such renown here in our halls.' Though he was shaken both by the ugliness of the Duke and the splendour of his daughter, Don Alvar remembered his manners and bowed deeply, paying compliments to them both and the beauty of Castel Esquero. "'You must forgive our appearances, Don Alvar,' said the Duke. "'They are our cross to bear.' The tale of Castellasquero is this. When King Alfonso founded the realm of Asturias, he desired to create a nation that was truly pure, and so he gathered up all those in his realm who were deemed hideous and exiled them. Among these exiles was my ancestor, the first Duke Feo, who travelled south, winning the pity of the Caliph of Andalusia, who gave us this land. Because of our own ugliness, we vowed to make Castellasquero beautiful beyond compare. Don Alvar bowed low at this and said, "'You have succeeded, Duke Feo. "'But though every person in this valley were ugly as the devil himself, "'I should still call yours a beautiful people, "'for the sake of your daughter alone.' "'At these chivalrous words, a murmur rose from the dinner guests, "'and someone began to cry. "'The Donna Maria placed a hand to her perfect face and glanced aside. "'Though the mask was white as salt, "'Don Alvar thought he almost saw a touch of colour appear on its cheek.' "'You have a courteous tongue, Donalvar,' said the Donna Maria. "'With my father's blessing, you may stay as long as you please.' "'With your blessing, Donna Maria,' said Donalvar, "'I would stay for a very long time.' And so it was that Donalvar came to remain at Castel Esquero. There he lived a blessed life, though he still found the people disgusting to look upon. Valley Esquero was rich, and every night exquisite meals weighed down the tables of high and low alike. Don Alvar spent his days on Gallardo, hunting golden stags in the forest, and in the evenings he would sit in the black crook of an orange tree, strumming his lute beneath the window of Donna Maria. On these nights, she would rest her masked, perfect face upon her white, perfect arms along the windowsill, and watch him while the moon rose. From time to time, a sigh would express itself between those carved, 
flawless lips, and a diamond of tear would darken a white cheek as it twinkled from the parabola of her jaw. "'You play so beautifully,' she said one such evening. "'The word beauty has no meaning,' he said, "'except that it refer to yourself.' She laughed at this and covered her false mouth. "'How can you know?' she said. "'You have never seen my face.' I have seen it ever in my dreams, he said, and you are beautiful in every other respect, and I have heard it said you will have the most singular appearance in all of Spain. You cannot mean that, she said. Her eyes through the holes in her mask were perfectly blue, the pure blue of Gothic Asturias. Beauty is truth, he said. Such beauty as yours precludes all dishonesty. You are beautiful as well, Donavar, she said. If so... Then why should beauty hide from beauty? Dona Maria, will you let me look upon your face? She turned aside. We have long lived closely with Moors of Andalusia, and some of their customs have become our own. Among their noble women, it is tradition to wear the veil until married. Among ours, it is custom to wear the mask. He said, I already knew about this custom when I asked. It took a moment for her to realize his implication. Do you mean, she said, straightening, I do, Donna Maria. I would look upon your face just once in my life if it was the last thing I did. Will you marry me? And she agreed to, with all her heart. They were wed three days later, and it is said to have been the fairest wedding that Spain had ever seen. White bunting blew from every window, rice and white blossoms wafted through the air, and white swans drifted across the glittering pools beneath the citron trees. On that day... All of Castella Square wore masks, so that they might appear beautiful in the sight of God and the wedded couple. Even Duke Feo looked magnificent as he gave away the bride, in a doublet of rich velvet, with the bearded face of a handsome lord strapped across his own seeping visage. But Donalvar barely noticed him, for Donna Maria was on his arm, and at her appearance his heart stuttered. She had repainted her mask, and it was now so lifelike that he thought for a moment it must be her real face. It was carved from ivory, and the perfect lips had been made crimson by gilding with butterfly wings. Strands of black emerald made up the perfect dark brows, but the sapphire of the eyes that gleamed beneath the mask was hers, and hers alone. A veil of flawless white muslin wafted between the white coronets of her headdress, and Don Alvar passed the rest of the ceremony as if in a dream, convinced that no living man had ever been so happy before or would be again. The lips of the mask were cool and soft as he kissed them for the first time. The sun was just beginning to set. The white of Castella Square was turning to roseate gold. After the flurry of the wedding feast, they were borne by singing crowds up to the bedchamber and left together in the darkness at last. The white mask left a pale gleam in the darkness as she let it fall away, and then by the dark of a moonless night, they consummated their marriage. And I wish that was the end of the story. It would be a happier story. And if we lived in a world where stories could end like that, then maybe we would live in a world with no inquisitions, no torquemadas, and no need for us to leave our home for distant Thessalonica. But we do not live in that world. And each night is followed by a day. They slept tangled in each other's arms. And when the pale blue light arrived before dawn, it was Donna Maria who awoke first. Seeing her new husband in that gentle light, she found him more beautiful than she had ever before. She caressed his face, 
kissed his brow and rolled over, folding his arms around her as she fell back asleep. Sometime later, he too awoke, and filled with thirst, made his way to the table where he had flung his silk clothes, his jeweled rapier and gilded pistol. There, a pitcher of water sat perspiring by the open window. He poured himself a drink and drank. He heard Donna Maria roll over again behind him and smiled. He turned to look upon his new bride for the first time. And the glass slipped from his fingers. It shattered on the floor. Her eyes snapped open, beautiful, blue, human. The only human things about her. Around her blue eyes and below her black hair, her face was a flayed skull. The white of her hands ended just above the wrists, and beyond that, her skin was red and fibrous as scorched flesh. Behind lush lips, her mouth yawned with black teeth that dripped black saliva like molasses. He shouted at her appearance, and seeing his horror, her own eyes widened, and she screamed, letting out of her lips a sound more horrible than any other, the sound of her breaking heart. Then came another sound, a flat, deafening report, followed by the stink of sulfur. He looked down, the pistol was in his hand, and a curl of smoke wafted through the morning air. He looked up, a plume of crimson blood had splattered the pure white sheets. He looked down again, a perfect, white mask lay discarded on the floor, never to be worn again. He caught his own reflection in the silver looking glass beside the door spattered with blood, but still the perfect features of the purebred gothic prince. Tricked, he hissed to himself. Tricked! The halls outside were filled with shouts and consternation as he threw on his trousers. He loaded the pistol and kicked down the door, and those hideous people swarmed him, their eyes and voices full of concern, just kind, just trying to help, as his rapier flickered through them just confused and betrayed as the light went out behind their eyes. The white walls of Castella Square were sprayed with blood. Men and women with club feet and dwarfism lurched down the corridors, and he ran them down, stabbing and shouting about how they had betrayed him, fooled him, about how they were abominations who deserved this. None of them tried to stop him. None of them had ever wanted to hurt anybody. He didn't care. The gilded pistol roared and roared again, and he left Castellasquero a charnel house, leaping, blood-slathered onto the back of Gallardo to tear away from that once fair place, never once looking back. He found Musa on the hilltop, cutting wood. Most singular-looking, Donalvar shouted, waving the bloody rapier. Clever wordplay for an infidel. She was a monster. Monster, said the Mudajar, looking him in the eye. What did she do that was monstrous? She is not the one covered in blood. Donalvar snarled, but when he drew back the sword for its killing stroke, he found he had no more stomach for killing, that the thought of more violence nauseated him beyond what the people of Esquero ever had, and that he wanted nothing more than to escape. He wheeled his horse and galloped north. In Asturias, they had long thought Donalvar was dead. When he returned from the war late, Exhausted and covered in blood, they assumed the best of him and declared him a hero. Stories spread about how Donovar had single-handedly taken a castle in Andalusia, killing all inside. In recognition of this service to Christendom, the king gave him a castle and lands that had belonged to one of the many lords who had died in Extremadura. He tried to return to his life. He purchased fine new clothes. 
He strutted before the ladies of Asturias, who vied to catch his pure blue gothic eye. But any time he tried to play the lute, he now found that his hand died upon the strings. Yet he was a prized commodity, and half the lords of the kingdom wanted his hand for their daughters. In time, he chose a bride, rich, beautiful, and of pure gothic breeding. But he never loved her. In time, she bore a daughter, a perfect, beautiful baby girl with bright blue gothic eyes and a face that could have been carved from ivory. He named her Maria. He wasn't sure why. For all her perfection, Maria had one flaw in his eyes. Along one porcelain cheek, she carried a birthmark, a red wine stain, and every time he looked at it, he saw a white mask lying on the floor with a splatter of blood across the cheek. "'Nobody in my family has ever carried such a mark,' said Don Alvar to his wife. "'Nor mine,' she said. "'You must be mistaken,' he said, drumming his fingers as he stared out a south-facing window. "'The blood of my house is pure.' She tried to respond, but he flung up a hand for stalling her. "'It is no cause for concern,' he said. "'A simple matter of cosmetics. We can cover it up.' From that day forth, even from her infancy— the Dona Maria del Pilar Ruiz Lopez de la Torre went about covered in a layer of thick white cosmetic. Yet no matter how she caked her face in white arsenic, Don Alvar would say he could see that awful mark and would tell her to cover it up. Time passed. A rich man, a supposed war hero, Don Alvar became one of the great counts of Asturias. Maria grew tall and beautiful with red lips and dark brows, she learned to play the lute beautifully, and Don Alvar often begged her to play it for him, though he wept each time she did. Among Maria's childhood friends was the king's own son, the Infante, and as they grew up together, a romance blossomed, and it became common opinion that the two would be married, and a grandson of Don Alvar would some day sit upon the throne. And so the day came when Don Alvar sat beside the king in the palace gardens of Asturias, watching their two children walk together hand in hand. She is the most singular-looking woman in the realm, said the king. These words froze Don Alvar's heart, though he murmured a polite response. With your blessing, said the king, your daughter shall soon receive my son's proposal of marriage. It was the best news imaginable, but for some reason it only filled Don Alvar's heart with a foreboding. My blessing shall be granted, he said. Good, exclaimed the king. I am delighted to hear it, Don Alvar. This is a joyous day for Asturias. And maybe that promise of a new beginning might also be a pleasant place for me to stop. But that is not the end of the story either. For each day is followed by a night. And that night, Don Alvar was woken by a scream from his daughter's room. Instantly, he was on his feet and he had the rapier and pistol in his hands. He hesitated outside her door, calling her name, but no sound came from inside, save for continued screams. With a shout, he kicked down the door and brandished the pistol, expecting to see... Not this. There was no attacker, no brigand or wild animal. Only his own daughter, the Dona Maria, crouched amid the white covers of her bed, covering her face with her hands. Beads of crimson dribbled across the white nightgown between her knees, and as he followed their trajectory, he found their origin. A red rupture around the edge of her face, ragged and bleeding freely. No, he said. He felt the grip of a cold inevitability wrap itself around him. Father, help me, she screamed. 
He saw now how the cosmetics and chemicals had been hurting her. The skin of her neck and shoulders had gone red and fibrous as scorched flesh. Behind lush lips, the lacquers with which he had had her paint her teeth had begun to rot them. She must have been in pain for years, but had hidden it, ever the dutiful daughter, as he demanded she cover that mark on her face. Her face, that perfect white mask, which she now held in her hands like a white bowl pooling with blood, while she looked out at him from perfect, blue eyes set in a flayed skull. Father, she cried, what's happened to me? Oh, I am deformed, deformed, deformed! Tears burned down the cheeks of Don Alvar, and he reached for the knife in his belt with a trembling hand. Don't worry, Maria, he said, drawing the blade. I know just what to do. After that, there was a scandal in the kingdom over the disappearance of Don Alvar and his daughter. The prince, it was said, never got over the loss of his first love, that most singular-looking woman in the kingdom. In time, people came to live in Castellasquero again, those too deformed, or ugly, or different to belong anywhere else in Iberia, seemed to make their way there by instinct. In time, it became as beautiful as it had been before, and even if the people there were ugly, it would have been fair to call them beautiful, for the beauty of the Donna Maria alone. Her father, the Duke Alvar, was also supposed to be a handsome man. But, like his daughter, nobody had ever seen behind that lovely mask he wore, that mask that seemed to fit as perfectly as his own face. There. It's dark outside. We should be safe to go. The ship will be waiting for us, and soon, sooner than you think, we'll be leaving Spain forever, for somewhere safe, somewhere we can start again. Did you like the story? No? Well, it isn't very pretty. But not everything can be beautiful. And ugliness is not the worst thing. Not nearly the worst. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, A Tale of Andalusia, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Melanie Leon. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at thewrongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow the Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>